You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we haven't gone woke, but we're still broke. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. This week, we actually have a little bit of different farce to talk about, which is a little bit refreshing this year where everything has been DeSantis, Florida, Disney, ah, all the same stuff over and over again. However, some of it is about San Francisco and Silicon Valley. I mean, these are the farce capitals of the world. I don't know what you want from me when we're coming up with this content. There's only so much we can work with. Uh, there's also a little bit of a straight edge farce. Not that straight edge is farcical, but farce that leads me into a straight edge rant. So uh, look forward to that. First, let's bring in my co-host. Joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. We've got a little more entertainment farce, I think, this time. But uh, but it's all racism. It's all homophobia. It's all sexist. It's all the same. But uh, I think we can uh, I think we can draw it all con- connected to uh, connected to the the theme of this year, which seems to be uh, seems to be this uh, over the top racial farce. That's one of the themes of the year. You forgot all of the uh, the trans farce as well. That's Come true. on, man. That's true. All right. Anything going on with you? Kickball's over. Kickball's over. Uh, the new season will start up in a week or two. So uh, I'll practice, I think, coming up. A couple practices. Uh, so, uh, yeah. And then back to the back to the diamond. Back to, uh, back to the competition. Although, uh, Do you Justin... Do ever I'm, have an off-season? <laughs> I think, yeah, they... they they kind of have like over the winter they don't really do it but um yeah like there's a winter here in california i know what you're saying but um but yeah you they don't read really my do mind <laughs> but uh yeah the, the the spring one this is the one that gets a little a little bit hot it gets a, i get i gotta remember the sunscreen every time or i'll turn into a lobster yeah we're getting to that point it's that that point in florida where we're right in the ideal part of the year in florida yeah <laughs> where it's it's that nice it's not too humid uh, it's really nice if you go out and walk around at night. This is, if anyone's wondering, this is the time to visit Florida. But nobody doesn't pay for our, yeah, you heard that double negative that was on purpose, for our podcast to hear us talk about the weather. They want to hear us talk about farce. Let's get into it in Life on the Midside. Take a good look around. Just like every sun, no, we just complain and I hope that this line goes on. Because I'm on the road here. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all support, including and perhaps most of all, affirmations. The first bit of farce I want to talk about this week, William, is a headline. And we don't even really need to go too deeply into this story 
because the headline is farcical in itself. Now, I know what you're thinking out there, Midsiders. Since when do we give in to clickbait headlines? Well, this is when we give in to clickbait headlines. When they're just accurately portraying what the story is about. And what I mean by that is, this is a very, very simple story. This is a very simple story that could be reported very straightforward. But the headline in itself shades it in a way that makes it so they've completely changed what the story is about. So what is that headline? This is a Business Insider article reposted on Yahoo News. Did you know, first of all, did you notice that, William, that nowadays Yahoo News just seems to be an aggregator for all yeah, other yeah. news They're sites? just reposting everything, yeah. Right, it literally reposted with credit. It literally says Yahoo News at the top, and then there's a Business Insider logo. So what's the purpose of Yahoo anymore? It's very strange. Anyway, here's the headline. NASA has flown 24 white American men to the moon. Now it's finally sending a woman, a black astronaut, and a Canadian. And just to be clear, that's not all one person. Those are three separate people. Now, <laughs> William, you know are what's you so Are you sure the Canadians love their, their two-spirited? So <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I think they could fit it all into two spirits. Well, I mean, I don't know that, I mean, if the Canadians love the two-spirit, the woman can't be Canadian then, right? Because she fits the gender binary. Oh, so okay. We don't know what gender the Canadian is, right? Although that does make it extra <laughs> funny, right? That it's a woman and a black person and then a Canadian. Like it's, <laughs> like it's, <laughs> Canadians what? are some marginalized group. Oh, yeah. Though, wait, are Canadians white though? This is confusing. I'm so confused by this headline. Well, right. So it, apparently the only white group that gets acknowledged as actually white is Canadians or non-white is Canadians. Every other white person is just a white person, right? doesn't matter where you're from. Yeah. But here's why this is so farcical, William, right? Besides the fact that they're pointing out that, you know, the, who the, the race and the gender of these astronauts matter, right? Here, here's it is. This is the first flight around the moon in more than 50 years, by NASA. <laughs> but so, that's not the accomplishment, Justin. That's not <laughs> the accomplishment. I know that this is farce, but this is the serious part of the farce. This is the part that we have to laugh at, is that's not the story. The most important part of this story is that we're redressing the fact that we didn't send women and Canadians to the moon. Previously, There's no other purpose to do this, right? It's not the greatness of man and the achievement of, uh, of taming a frontier that is the goal. It is... Uh, redressing the past evils of, of repressing women, literally, by keeping them in the gravity well. Well, isn't this more of an example of us just taking everything for granted? Like, oh, going to the moon is so passe. Oh, we did that more than 50 years ago. It's not a big deal. Who Who is going matters now. It's so easy. Do you yeah. get what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I think it's a little more evil than that. I can, I can see that as well, but I think it's I think it's the more evil premise of the, the the we've got to redress this evil that was done to women 50 years ago by not taking them to the moon. What about the evil of should government be funding flights around the moon? Right? We went <laughs> well, for the 50 I, years ago. I'm going to lay down a prediction here. I'm going to guess SpaceX is going to get to the moon before Artemis does, before the NASA program does. I don't think that. We'll see, uh, we'll see tomorrow. Tomorrow's the, uh, the first test flight of Starship. Uh, and Starship is definitely capable of getting the moon. So is Falcon Heavy. Maybe not with people with Falcon Heavy. Um, so yeah, I'll, be, I'll I'm gonna lay that. I'm gonna lay that uh, in, incredibly, incredibly risky bet of saying that SpaceX will get there first. 
Is it because they have fewer Canadians working for SpaceX? Is that <laughs> yes, what you're ITAR, saying? ITAR does limit, the ITAR regulations do limit the number of uh, Canadians that can work at SpaceX, that's for sure. Their, their, their flappy heads and beady little eyes are not aerodynamic? Yeah, yeah. And they need special well, food. I, poutine, poutine is hard to do in space. <laughs> it breaks up in space in the zero G. Yeah, you can't, yeah. can't freeze-dry poutine. Yeah, it doesn't, um, doesn't, doesn't work right. Uh, I think the NASA flight is going to be in November 2024, right? Yeah, they got to get so... a rocket off the ground first with <laughs> Artemis. So, no, I'm serious. They they've got to. I don't think they've really proven that out yet. So now we've hit the real farce here, right? It's not who's on the flight. It's it, we've lost the ability to go to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> that's the real. That's the real farce here, right? Yeah. Although, by the way, dude, I do love when you scroll down. The picture is of two. There's still two white men in the picture. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, I, I wonder. Was, I wonder if, according to according to you know, according to uh, social justice rules, the woman has to be the captain, right? Let's see. It doesn't say who the captain is. But you understand what I'm saying, right? We can't have a man uh, be in charge or be uh, in any way help the woman or that's that's against the social justice rules at least in the creative world so i imagine since this is all farce this is all done for show that uh the woman will have to be the captain i would assume but i don't know and i honestly didn't read that deeply in the story to care about who the captain was i mean if it's a woman captain she's just gonna wonder if there's coffee in that nebula so oh man they'll be stopping and asking for directions is that the, the cliche joke to make I was referencing Janeway. My joke was a lot more clever than your joke was. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's let's move forward here, William. I know you wanted to talk about San Francisco. So, oh man, talk yeah, us through couple, San Francisco. <laughs> had a couple good stories. Uh, uh, good farce coming out of San Francisco. So, Justin, this first one I think is another one that says it all in the headlines. Whole Foods closes San Francisco flagship store exactly one year after opening, citing worker safety. Justin, we've been seeing the stories about how unsafe it is. I've been to San Francisco a few times. It's uh, it's pretty crazy down there. Um, just like here in Up LA, there. there's a lot of. Can you stop that? Okay, I sorry, you just triggered me. All right, yeah. I know this is what we were attending, but I hate when people go north and say they're going down there, or they're going. Somebody's going north and they're saying they're coming down to see me. No, they are <laughs> not coming down to see you. They were well, they're going down to, to downtown, you. as in the hellhole that is downtown. So. Okay, and I guess San Francisco is on hills, so yeah. you could argue that. But okay, <laughs> you got off on a technicality there. But you're yes. in LA, San Francisco's up north. You're going up to San Francisco, not down. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Even from here, LA, I'm going north. So, so do I say uptown? I mean, their downtown is uptown from your downtown. That's true. But uh, yeah, so. Can you imagine opening a giant grocery store, a Whole Foods, and then having to close it one year later? Like all I the... mean, I can't imagine opening a Whole Foods, so they've already <laughs> lost me there. Yeah, but I, I mean, think of all the the jobs that are lost, all the, uh, you know, we hear all the time about food scarcity. I mean, you can't get the pure, most social justice food foods uh, at, at anywhere else other than Whole Foods, right? But uh, I don't know. With, the, with this... Uh, I, this also reminds me of a story we didn't put in the outline, but I think uh, they're protesting in Chicago that the Walmart closed, the last Walmart in the city limits of Chicago closed, um, and they're saying it's due to white supremacy. So I'm wondering, Justin, if this is also due to white supremacy, but 
didn't didn't uh so didn't we're all this, this is this is how we make up for not sending canadians and, and women to the moon we shut down whole foods and walmart yep yep well i guess i don't then isn't open isn't an open walmart bad for the environment shouldn't we uh, i, I thought even... an open walmart was just bad for everything i thought walmart <laughs> was like the ultimate evil like name one thing that walmart is not evil about right yeah, um, that's true. But, but they want. Is, it's funny. Like, if Walmart's so evil, why are they protesting it leaving? That's the other thing I don't understand. But ah, uh, see, that's the that's the thing, right? This is another Randian thing that we're not allowed to talk about because we can't say Ayn Rand was right about things, right? Yeah. This is the sanction of the victim. They yeah. want the services of these companies, but they want these companies to genuflect at the altar of the social justice religion because that's yeah. ultimately what it's all about. Right. It's all about getting them to say, oh, we're not good enough. So we have to do this for you. We have to sacrifice for your sake, because ultimately it's making those people feel important. So I know this isn't their argument and I don't know what their argument for white supremacy is with Chicago or Walmart leaving Chicago. Right. But ultimately, they're really calling it white supremacy is what they're really trying to do is make you feel guilty and say, oh, you think you're too good to be in Chicago? Oh, you think you're too good for us? Because they want you to come back and give them the cheap prices and give things away for them, right? Let them steal things. I'm assuming that Walmart left because it was just not profitable to run a business in Chicago yeah, anymore. I think that, yeah, property theft and labor right. laws, you know. But that's exactly the, exactly the sanction they want. They want Walmart to have such low self-esteem that they go, oh, well, this is just part of doing business in Chicago. And we really need to be in Chicago because this this is a really valuable market and this is an important city. And that's why I don't like what's the actual argument that the, I mean, this is the real argument. I want to know what the what the the argument they're professing is for white supremacy. Yeah, I, I didn't get into it exactly because it was very convoluted, but it was it was basically just accusing them of choosing to close that like think i think they were thinking of it as like look walmart's a profitable company why are they closing chicago they must be white supremacy that was the basis that was the most logical way i can present their argument i think because there are only black people in chicago like i don't understand there are other races in chicago besides I, black people right allegedly allegedly so we don't know i mean i was in chicago and i <laughs> i had heard I had heard about all the Polish people and then I saw them and Polish Polish people are notoriously whitewashed. I just don't white. want to. I can't claim to how they identify, Justin. I, you're you're okay. putting me in an awkward position here. OK, so that's the idea is they, they they're claiming Walmart's refusing to serve certain demographics. Yes. By not putting up with rampant crime and uh, minimum wage laws that make it unprofitable to do business there. Well, right. I mean, and. Whole Foods has it worse in San Francisco because it's it's not even that. It's worker safety. They literally have to close down. Otherwise, they're putting their workers in yeah. harm's way. Yeah. And, I think I, for that story, and like we were talking about, me, me and my business partners were talking about it. And it's like, man, if we ever wanted to open something down in, uh, down close to in. San Francisco. Well, now, now this is correct from Santa Rosa. It's down. So if you okay. continue down the 101 corridor okay. and you get anywhere right. close to uh, San Francisco, um, we'll have to do a ghost kitchen. We won't be able to do one like a traditional one because of worker safety. It just won't be possible to keep our workers safe. What's a ghost kitchen? Uh, that's where it's like you. there's a usually a large professional kitchen 
that rents out space to different franchisees or, or restaurant, restaurant tours. And then they only do like Uber Eats delivery and DoorDash deliveries and stuff like that. So you couldn't like walk in and order. Well, okay. And that, that actually goes to uh, a point I was going to make, a question I was going to ask. I'm going to come in at a different angle now. I mean, is it that sort of what we're all being pushed towards now anyway? I mean, this is what I said during the pandemic. If you remember, I said they want us to stay at home. They want us to have one source of information and news where you're not going out in the public square anymore and interacting with people and getting exposed to different perspectives. You're getting all your perspectives from media, specifically from social media, where the algorithm is controlling what you're seeing. And yeah, I it, think, isn't that what they want? I think that is one of the one of the one of the consequences of this. The the you know we talk about that in, in and I think this is the. This is the other side in a, in a, in a rational world, there's this, uh, idea that as, as we get more freedom, we get more ability to have more of a private life. Right. And I like that idea, but what we're doing, because we're not doing this in a freedom, you know, thinking about individual freedom is we're tearing down a bunch of social inter interaction and it's becoming super tribalistic, Right. And so we're getting the opposite of that, which is while you may be spending all your time at home, you're you're only interacting socially with with um, groups that are sort of proscribed to you by media. And I think that's the that's the point you're trying to make. Well, right, and and I also don't think private life means staying at home. I think yeah, you can yeah. have a private life and go in public spaces. And I would actually even argue that part of your point is the fact that we have the inverse of that. That when we, we go yeah. in public spaces, right, we broadcast it, we advertise it. When we're at home in our private space, we advertise it. We make it a public thing now. So you could even say we, in evidence that we have, a piece of evidence that we have less freedom is that things are becoming increasingly more public, even yeah. though we're becoming more isolated. Yep. And Isolated and more public, and and that's the that's we know that the 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 places that are the most isolated and the most public are places like North Korea, right? And USSR, you know, communist USSR, things like that. Right, and that was the question I was going to ask. The question I was going to ask that this comes to is how much of this is a result when we talk about these stores closing and leaving and all this cultural stuff we're talking about. How much of this is a result of the combination of technology while living in a dense city and how much of it is a result of the culture and what i mean is to a certain extent when you have so many people living so close to each other violence is going to happen looting is going to happen theft is going to happen right there are going to be all of these issues but is it really so bad now simply because of the city life or is it so bad because of technology? And really what I'm trying to caution here is I don't want to blame things that are a result of city life on technology and the culture when really it's an issue of, of human beings shouldn't be living so densely packed on top of one another. Do you get my point? Mm. Well, I think we've, we, we know that there are societies and cultures that handle uh, a level of density that is just not in the United States. Like think of Japan, um, you know, there's a way to have a culture that can work that or isn't at least isn't violent. Um, 
to the level that we are. I think it is still it's technology exacerbating the uh, exa- exacerbating sorry the the culture and probably also exacerbating exacerbating. But, yeah, I was um, gonna say <laughs> it's exacerbating. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's an interplay. But I I still want to point back. I think the culture is the more more important one. And the cities are breeding this kind of culture, so reinforcing uh, uh, part of it, right? Like it's reinforcing the the negative parts of the culture. It's concentrating those negative parts. Yeah, and I think the next two stories really show how the culture is concentrating these negative parts of living with each other densely. Because, and this is what I'll say to preface it, William, and then I'll, I'll throw it to you. I think a really important point that made America work for so long that we need to remember is basic respect for everybody's natural rights, the social contract. And that when you go into a public space, it's not just your own rights that matter anymore. That if we're going to live in a society that respects individual rights, which natural rights are individual rights, then you need to understand that where violence begins, you're violating your own rights. You're not violating anyone else's rights because what you are doing is allowing for other people to violate your rights. Now, literally, when you're committing violence against someone, you're violating that person's rights. I make a rhetorical point. I make a rhetorical point that all of these issues are ultimately going to punish you in the end without you realizing it because you're the one violating the social contract and tacitly giving other people permission to violate the social contract. Mm. And I think that this story, William, about faking it in Silicon Valley points to that, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. So this is a New York Times piece. The end of faking it in Silicon Valley. Recent charges, convictions, and sentences all indicate that the startup world's habit of playing fast and loose with the truth actually has consequences. Uh, I think this story is fascinating because in a way it's pointing out something that's completely valid, which is you cannot, in order to be an entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur, you must have a uh, ironclad ability to look at reality and assess it. You, you cannot fake reality and you cannot be lying like that. That's not that. That's what a con man does. That's not what an entrepreneur does. You, in fact, you have to be uh, you have to be more in touch with reality than your competitors, right? Because usually people are doing things in a way that you're going to upend if you're going to be a true sort of Silicon Valley style entrepreneur, right? You're going to change the way things or the way people see reality, right? You're uncovering a new truth or presenting a new product that is going to change the way people are doing things. So, uh, so. What they bring up, of course, is we've all sort of noticed it, this pattern of of uh, fraudsters coming out of Silicon Valley. Um, so uh, so the ones everyone, of course, probably think of is like the FTX fraud and um, was it the uh, Thanos, uh, the lady with the uh, uh, fake blood tests? Um, but there's also been some other ones that were just recently arrested. So in the past two weeks, uh, Charlie Gervais, the founder of the financial aid startup Frank, was arrested, accused of falsifying customer data. A jury found Rishi Sal, a co-founder of the advertising so- a software startup Outcome Health, guilty of defrauding customers and investors. And a judge ordered Elizabeth Holmes, the founder who defrauded investors at her blood testing startup, uh, 
Theranos, uh, to begin an 11-year prison sentence on April 27th. So, Justin, uh, what do you think about this sudden realization that we can't uh, lie? Do you think it's just because uh, that you know the reason they give is uh, it's because cheap money is no longer around? You know, there's uh, the the financial crisis is hitting, so therefore reality is coming to crash crashing down. But Justin, has any of these companies ever faked it till they made it? Like, I can't think of any any company that survived this sort of disconnect with reality. Uh, I mean, it's really hard for me to come up with the name of any specific company that did that because, as you're saying, it's not possible. I also think it's partially because money is drying up. And what that means is there was another way people were faking it until they were making it. And it's sort of in our culture at large when we think of social media. And what I mean by that is these angel investors were tricked by, and perhaps this is the answer right here, Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook into believing their next big cash cow was out there and they could essentially make a quick buck. Remember how in our culture we used to make fun of get rich quick schemes? Wasn't that like a big meme making fun of get rich quick schemes? Yeah. Now everything's a get get rich quick scheme. It it feels like. Ah, now you see where I'm going. I will always remember William When I lived in Anaheim in our apartment complex where there was no parking, there was always a car parked on the side of the road that had the license plate bit game on it. So I assumed that was somebody who got into Bitcoin early and got lucky and then made a bunch of money off of it and used it to buy a car. Now, here's the thing. In California, you have to continually pay every year for that vanity plate. So that just tells me He was faking it until he makes it. He was using that money in a way that isn't going to serve him going forward, where that was a limited one-time windfall, and rather than reinvest it or save it in a way that it would serve him going forward in the future, he was spending it, blowing it, as they say, in order to make himself look good and make himself feel good. And I think that's what a lot of these angel investors were doing, which, of course, was encouraging the fraud. But again... Is that not our entire culture, William? Is that not what social media is in a nutshell? Is everyone yeah. faking I mean, you it have until a lot they make of these, it? You have a lot of these, uh, a lot of the venture capital were talking about and treating startups almost like they were like they were at a casino, right? Using the fact that like one in 10 startups succeed, right? Um and saying, well, in that case, in order to improve our odds, we should just put money in a lot of different startups. Do you see the fallacy in that thinking, Justin? Well, it's the idea that if we flip a coin enough times, it'll land on heads 50% of the time and tails 50% of the times. No, each unique time you flip it, it's a 50-50 chance. Exactly. And and that 1 in 10 data came from, the, came from uh, looking at looking at it when people were much more had much more scrutiny about businesses right and so if you're not applying that same scrutiny to the business and really understanding it you know that was one in 10 businesses failing that had sound business uh plans right and and had uh, that in other words that was that was controlling for execution but if you just start spreading your money around to every startup that has an idea then you're 
you're not going to get a one in 10 success. That's not how that works, right? It's not guaranteed. You know, you just can't give every person that has an idea money. It doesn't work that way. Well, right. And this is where we start rolling into our final story, William. And what I mean by that is I think what you're taking aim at is the definition of the word startup and the definition of the word entrepreneur. Yeah. And it became oh, wow. trendy. Let, let, Go ahead. I was going to say, I, hold your thought for one second because I want to add to this. They're now filtering, they're considering filtering for Machiavellian narcissists who are more likely to commit fraud. Is that going to stop it? If they just get rid of the Machiavellian narcissist CEOs? First of all, there won't be any CEOs left if they get rid of narcissists because that, like, you're going to have, if you're going to be a successful entrepreneur, that's going to bias you towards higher narcissism. It, it just does. The people who are willing to take on that kind of work are going to be more lean towards that sort of thing. But yeah, if we're just, if we just filter out the Machiavellian narcissist by using a psychological analysis, we'll just not have fraud anymore. Yeah. As if like you can perfectly plan it that way, especially with a culture that's completely fraud based. Cause as I was saying, and I think this is why you stopped me for a second. It's not just the Machiavellian narcissist who are claiming their entrepreneurs or claiming their startups or it became, do you remember how it really became trendy for people to be like, oh, I want to find somebody to build my empire with, right? Like, this is something yeah. Adam Carolla talks about, where Adam Carolla is like, nobody can just have a job anymore. Everybody needs to be fulfilled by their job. You know, fulfillment isn't like your family. It isn't what you do with the money you make from your job. You need to have a job that you, you do 24 hours a day and you're fulfilled by it. Isn't that a, a way our entire culture has been faking it for... I don't know, half of our adult lives. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would say it's not necessarily bad if you, if your job is that fulfilling, that's great. Right. You know, I could see, you know, there are some, I had some teachers, you know, very rare, but I had some teachers that education and educating students was really, they were passionate about it. Right. They, they love that, but they also had other things in their life that they loved. Right. It wasn't all education, right. All teaching all the time. Um, but on the flip side of that, you have to think about your values and, yeah, it's it's work should be part of that, but there are other values than work. <laughs> There's there other, are other values than work, but my point is you're not even working. You're putting up the front that you're working. Oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Oh, I'm a yeah. startup. Oh, I I'm going to build an empire. You are saying these things to create an image that you're worried about what other people think because yeah, let's let's eliminate the Machiavellian narcissist. Who we're yeah. not eliminating is the second-handers who say all these things and do all these things to impress other people. And those yeah. were a large amount of people getting money from these angel investors. Absolutely. I think there's another thing that this connects to, and it's something that we've talked about, or I've talked about, I think, a little bit before, is this idea of the end of long-term thinking, right? And, we, yes. and you can see that with the, uh, you know, uh, even the interest rates changing so so rapidly, no one's able to do any long term planning or long term thinking. Think of long term rewards. You know, uh, I, I bring up SpaceX because that's a good example. You know, Elon has said in many times publicly, and and when I was working there, even that he wouldn't go public with SpaceX until the day that they landed on, uh, humans on Mars. And the reason for that is he doesn't think the public will think long term. The first time they have a setback, everyone will sell their stock and the company will go bankrupt. Right. And he can't he can't do that. He has to find people, investors who will think long term, think in terms of decades and, and decades and 50 years. Right. To 
colonize Mars to see the payout. The payout for SpaceX comes when they land humans on Mars. Not a, not before, right? Doesn't mean they're not going to be profitable before then. It's but they're 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 thinking in terms of decades, and that kind of thinking in business just doesn't happen anymore. It's why we can't build power plants. It's why we can't build new refineries. That we're, we're prevented by the culture and the government and and to think in those sort of long, super long term projects in years. Right. The only the because only thing that- doing things that long is government, and even then not right because because. The, the whims of the government change every election cycle. When they're supposed to. That's the point. Government is supposed to be short-term so that people can be long-term. They're supposed to be stuck exactly. in gridlock to prevent, to prevent them from stopping people from doing things in the long-term. However, we've all got stuck in that gridlock cycle because of what you're saying and also because of the psychological trick of calling yourself an entrepreneur. Yeah. You're not an and entrepreneur. People are- Go ahead. People are substituting that long-term thinking. They're parroting, like you were talking about faking it. What they're faking is that long-term thinking when they say, oh, I have this great idea, and then they fake the number of users so that people will invest in them. What right. they're doing is they're faking that long-term thinking, right? Right. They're not sticking to their premise of like, oh, this will work in the long-term. Here's, right. here's how we get there. No, no, no. That's not what they're doing. They're faking the, the data to say, well, look, it's, it's already paying off, right? Not just the long-term thinking, William, the long-term psychological payoffs to the effort as well. Oh, look at all the users we have already. Oh, I'm an entrepreneur already. You're not an entrepreneur. You're a dude who had an idea and you'd like to try and make it. Right. You're not an entrepreneur until you've actually succeeded in the long term. What do they say? Most businesses fail within two years. Okay. Get past those two years, then, then talk to me. Right. Yeah. Are you a wrestler when you step on the mat? Technically. But. I've heard of wrestlers who won for many years, but didn't say they thought they were a wrestler until, you know, their senior year or their junior year. That's when things really started to click for them. And what does that say? If somebody at that high of a level is saying, oh, well, this is when I really started to wrestle well. Mm -hmm. And then there are people below them posting on social media and acting like big shots, like they're wrestlers. Do you get the point I'm making? Yeah, I do. And I think it fits perfectly with what you're saying. And I think it's, it it leads perfectly into this final story because when I think you take the short term, long term, I think it makes my straight edge point so well, William. Okay. So one thing we haven't talked about is how, Bud Light has decided to have Dylan Mulvaney sponsor their product. Dylan Mulvaney is a trans activist and influencer. Now, William. Also a clown. She's basically a woman face clown. Okay, you said she. So here's my question, because I'm not steeped in this, and clearly <laughs> you're saying clown. You yeah, know yeah. more than me. That is a character. Yeah. Okay, so this is a man... Dressing up in drag like a woman. Well, I think they've done surgery as well, but it's it's still a clown. Okay, well, that's what I was wondering. Okay, so they've done this person, he or she has done cosmetic surgery to appear to look like a woman. Yeah, I believe so. Okay, but we don't know if there's been any. I haven't dug dug deep enough. Yeah, to see what 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 surgeries have are involved and what transition steps have been taken. But I'm telling you just from watching the videos. Yeah. 
This this person well, this person is a clown, a literal clown. Okay, so when you say that, I'm going to make a comparison here that at the risk of and we're going to piss off that demographic anyway because this is about right-wing beer, right? Cuz beer is right or left wing, right? Uh what? That's right. Um beer has a political standpoint now, right? Um this reminds me of Blair White. So the description you're making. And the reason I say that, William, is I'm sure you've heard me say this before. We're starting to get more of it now. But for a long, long time, men who transitioned into women didn't transition into just simply being a woman. They transitioned into a stereotype or a cartoon of a woman. Yeah. And that's they put sound, on, they, I mean, the, the, the thing that got the uh, that got the Stonewall uh, uh, riot survivor in trouble. It was his sign that said. Uh, had a no sign over a woman face. Right. Well, to me, that's what I look at Blair White. Blair White is putting on woman face. And that there is mental issues there beyond the the gender dysphoria. It's also, look, I've said this before. I agree with the idea that there are socially constructed gender norms. That I I think both sides are right. I think there are things that the, the genders have naturally physically and psychologically but i also think a lot of gender norms are constructed like if a boy wants to wear pink and and play with barbies who cares like that's socially constructed right but then again the product is designed in specific ways because of what the tendencies of the genders are overall but at the same time if a look at gordon ramsay if a man wants to be a cook traditionally that's a a female gender role, right? So again, I agree with both sides, but that's the issue with a lot of these, you know, when we look at Dylan Mulvaney, a lot of people like Dylan Mulvaney, like Blair White, they're putting on, as you're saying, woman face. They don't actually just want to be a woman. They want to be the stereotype of a woman that they think is the, the, the cultural norm, the socially constructed cultural norm. And that's part of, I think, William... Correct me if I'm wrong or disagree with me. I think that's part of why people have trouble accepting the existence of transgender people. Yeah, I think that could be part of it. I I think that's well, uncomfortable, isn't it? It's yeah, it is uncomfortable. Watching Dylan Mulvaney is uncomfortable. For anyone who has self-esteem, it will make you very uncomfortable. It is it is a it is very similar to a to blackface. That's why that's why people call it woman face, right? It's a performative thing. And yeah, you could say, oh, she's on TikTok, so everything's performative on TikTok. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. But I don't. I doubt that she's any different in real life, right? This is everyone he she meets is going to see this performance, right? And then there becomes issues of. How does that affect actual people who have, you know, want to transition and they don't want to be woman face or man faced, right? Yeah, and you know, yeah, there and there are about, people like that. Let's like I right. know we always have to be clear about this because we because people 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 feel the need to to uh, to throw the transphobia um, charge around, but there are people who aren't putting on women face. There are people who have transitioned that aren't putting on woman face, right, or man face, right. And right, and the the issue is complex, and we've I know we've talked about it before, but the whole idea of making beer political is they the same. Did you see thing. what the motivation was? 
the motivation was by their chief marketing officer was that uh, their beer is only being drank by old people, and so they need to get the next the 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 you know the younger the college generation right, and so they have to uh, they have to branch out to to I guess to trans people and people who are social justice. That's gonna that's gonna help. That's gonna have Bud Light survive in the future. Is that how you expand your audience by alienating your current audience? Well, the 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 issue Bud Light is having is it's really hard to market to a demographic of kids who don't know who they are because they've been told they don't know who they are. And they, they're told they don't know what to believe in. Because I've told you this before, at school, most people need to be something. And yeah. what I mean by that is you have to have some sort of label or something, or you have to not identify as your gender, or you know, no one can just be a, a straight person anymore. No one can just be a cis hetero person anymore. Oh yeah, you know, that's I evil. mean, well, I think it's also. Many... I'd also. I'm going to connect this beers to Star Wars, Justin. This is the same thing Kathleen Kennedy did with Star Wars. They're yes. like, hey, we want to, we want to get women, so therefore we're going to alienate all the existing fans in order to quote unquote get more women. That, right. I mean, that, well, I mean, that was that remember, is their business plan. Remember when the Boy Scouts did that, and we talked yeah. about that. Where the Boy Scouts were like, wait, there's a 50% of the market out there. Let's open up to women and and girls of the Boy Scouts. Yep, it's the same. But the response isn't any better. So the reason we're talking about this isn't just Bud Light, right? I mean, Bud Light's decision will be bore out by the marketplace. We'll see what happens to them. But when we're talking about these fake entrepreneurs and this fake it till you make it, you sent me this, William. And it's Georgia conservative Seth Weathers decided to start a business that would allow right-wingers to boycott the brand and drink a 100% woke-free beer. So he calls it Conservative Dad's Ultra-Right Beer, and this headline claims it has thousands of orders. So there's a couple of things going on with this article. First of all, William... This is just pure get-rich-quick opportunism, is it not? It is. It's just somebody who sees an opportunity and is like, oh, I'm going to market this. But then this is also the news media stirring this up as if it's a big deal. Yeah, all this free marketing. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's free marketing for the guy, and he's making money off of it, but his product, William... Isn't a product. What does it do that's different from any other beer? Explain it to me. Uh, doesn't buy ads from Dylan Mulvaney. So that's it. So uh, the, that's the it. actual that's beer. I, yeah, I, I guess there's no difference. So the Justin, actual beer. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't in the 80s and 90s, wouldn't this be an SNL sketch? Yes. And not, a, not something happening in real life? Yes. Yes, completely. Because... This is the thing where conservatives are messing up. This is the thing, and I'm going to lead into my straight edge point because there's, there's one point I want to end here. But this is how conservatives are messing up. Another, another article I found this week that's related to this is conservatives are plotting text warnings on woke products. And this, this group by a, a company called Consumers Research, which isn't the same as Consumer Reports, if you ever read that, or Consumer Reports for Kids as a kid. Uh, the consumer research was apparently founded in 1929 with a mission to educate and protect consumers from harmful 
products, right? Now, does this say harmful marketing, William, or does it say harmful products? Mm. So there's a difference between Bud Light and its marketing, right? So So should consumer research be creating woke alerts? I say no, and this is the reason I say no. Isn't it a Marxist tenet that everything is political? Haven't we talked about this before with Batman versus Superman? You know, where they say on this earth, every act is a political act. No, every act is not a political act. This is the right internalizing the left's premise that you have to start buying your products based on the morality of the product, not the quality of the product. Whereas I would argue, like we were saying with the fake it to make it earlier, You can't fake reality and the higher quality products are necessarily going to be the most moral because those are the ones most in line with reality. Now, is this is our society in the world perfect? No, that's why there'll always be issues with morality. Right. When we talk about um, what's it called when you export labor? I can't remember what what they're called. Outsourcing. When you outsource to foreign countries and then you're taking advantage of foreign nationals in regards to, you know, either children or having sweatshops or both at the same time, those are clearly immoral. Right. But those are issues with the, the, the greater political, philosophical underpinnings of our culture. And I'm not excusing those, but we have this idea that we can just like putting woman face on something, putting blackface on something, just like claiming you're an entrepreneur and want to build an empire that we can in the short term get rid of these products and make society better. When overall, what are we doing? What are we doing? We're creating lower quality products such as ultra right wing beer because what matters is the ideology of the person making the beer more than the product of the beer. Is this Mm -hmm. not, William, another example of your short term thinking? I think it is. I think it's also another example of uh, that this is acting like a religion, right? So the uh, the people who are not of the religion see this as blasphemy. So so you can't. It's a it's a disgust and blas. It, it's a disgust response to uh, to something that's a blaspheme, right? Right. And you want to talk about short term, long term? Here's my straight edge point. So this guy Seth Weathers, who is creating this beer. Right. He also is apparently the CEO, CEO of Freedom Speaks Up. Let me click on that. See how many. Oh, the CEO of Freedom Speaks Up. How many followers do you think it has on Twitter? Take a guess. A thousand. Less. Seven hundred. Oh, right? man. So this is an example of somebody calling himself a CEO when he's not really a CEO. And he also runs conservativebody.com. This is what his profile says. On a mission to help conservatives unlearn the government lies about food, lose weight, and get in shape. William. With beer? Exactly. What part of that mission is helped by consuming and selling beer? None. There's none of that can be helped. Isn't he contradicting his supposed basic mission and values by selling beer? Yeah. Yeah. So I would venture he doesn't even care about food, losing weight, and getting in shape, I would think that he's just someone trying to take advantage of how that seems to be trendy among people on the right more than people on the left. Uh Uh-huh. It's just this, this whole thing, right? You need to think about your 
values. You need to think about, and I'm not talking about you, William, I'm talking generally, and nobody in the audience and the listening right now, mid-surgery, like, I already do that. I know, okay? People need to think about their values and how they apply them in the long term. Because if not, this is what we end up with. Anything you would like to add to that, William? I think you're spot on. I think uh, I think that this... Uh, didn't we see go through this with the Chick-fil-A thing, too? It's okay to eat a Chick-fil-A, even if you're yes. not gay. Or even if you're gay, it's okay to eat a Chick-fil-A. Well, and I will end with this then, William, since you already brought this up. You want to know my latest thing that I will completely invalidate someone for? <laughs> if I read you writing about, or I hear you mention that Florida hates gay people or that Florida Florida has a policy about don't say gay, I immediately do not take you as a serious person. Yeah. Because that is completely and utterly false. That is a, a niche, nuanced issue that you know nothing about and you're just parroting what you heard. Yeah. Okay. You know, you've, you've clearly never been to Miami. That. Very true. Those, those those Cubanos down in in Miami, and I'm not saying all Cubans are gay. I just I feel like I just pissed off the Miami demographic. Yeah, I, I don't know if anyone. There goes our Miami. South Beach listeners. Jesus, <laughs> they're not going to let me off this the the high speed rail when it comes from Orlando to Miami. <laughs> Where's that midside guy? Said all Cubanos are gay. Okay, let's move on. Let's hit up a review of Nicolas Cage as Dracula in. The Hopeful Romantic with JML. Put me into syndication, broadcast to a network station of people viewing their favorite episodes. I can't find a new pitch to throw the studio. I need a rerun to better cast the next series of events. In the air timeline lapse, my made for TV type was written off. In the last season when I wasn't focused on. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. If you just go to midside.com or the midside.com slash podcast, click on any episode link. There's a midside join link there. That's where you can click and submit news articles, share your thoughts, watch some trailers, anything to stay engaged with the show during the week. And when we have our eventual off season, unlike Williams Kickball League, then you can continue to talk to us and make it so there is real, no real off season because the show may have an off season, but the midside itself is a state of living. This week, William, I want to review Renfeld, Renfield. Sorry, although they were saying Renfeld through the, the the movie, I believe this is a movie that is treated as a sequel to the original Bella Lugosi film. From the early 1900s, the 1920s, this is the classic Dracula, the one everyone thinks of in the movies. Nick Cage plays that role. He follows up on that role. He continues it. Whereas Nicholas Holt plays the role of Renfeld, his assistant, and they are now living in modern day New Orleans, except of course, Renfeld is having... Second thoughts about being the assistant of Dracula. Because, you know, apparently that takes thousands of years to have those second thoughts. Not every time you (laughs) kidnap an innocent person to be eaten by Dracula. 
William, do you remember what you said when you watched this trailer? Uh, I don't remember what I said when I watched this trailer. What did you say, Justin? Well, I, I, I enthusiastically hugged it. So okay. that means you didn't have much of a reaction. I didn't have it. much of a reaction, yeah. I must right. not have. Either way. You must not have hated not have been, it. You must not have loved it. Yeah. So hopefully yeah. my review can push you to wanting to see it. Here's right. my one sentence review. Renfeld is a mashup of horror, comedy, and action that delivers with all its pieces by showing that the best way to save the world is to save yourself. Interesting. It, th- this is a very interesting premise because what it's about is Renfeld realizing he is in a codependent relationship with a narcissist who used his own lack of self-esteem against him. And in order to get free and defeat Dracula, he has to learn to have self-esteem. And that's the point of the movie. And they're very clear that that's the point of the movie, that it's about loving yourself first. It's not about saving the world. And I thought that that was very, very interesting. I thought, obviously, that was very powerful and that it was executed very well. This is, look, this is a horror comedy with action in it. It's an action movie, too. It literally hits all of those genres, as I said in my in my one sentence review, and it hits all of them well. Obviously, Nick Cage is great in this movie. Nicholas Holt is great in this movie. Aquafina is good in this movie. It's not a long movie. It's only 90 minutes. What I find interesting now is we talk, I talked about this with the Super Mario Brothers movie. It's, we seem to have the opposite idea in our culture. Remember when Zack Snyder was making long movies, Williams, and everyone said they yeah. were too long? Yeah. Now it's like movies are too short if they're an hour and a half. A movie could be an hour and a half, too. This felt like it was the right amount for this movie. Now, is it the greatest movie ever? No. But I will clearly give this movie a bromantic rating. This... Mm-hmm. I think it's better than Super Mario Bros. movies. It's my favorite movie so far of the year. I, I think it's the role Nick Cage was born to play. I think he famously said he, he wants wanted to play Dracula. He got to play Dracula. And this made me want to see more. I want to see more of Nick Cage's Dracula. I want to see more of Nicholas Holt as Renfeld. And I'm okay with bringing Aquafina's character back too. Hopefully there'll be a sequel. But if not, this is a, a good one-off movie. That I've always said as part of romanticism and part of why I love science fiction, that the best type of story takes something that is relatable and common. It takes a theme that's relatable and common and it exaggerates it. And William, can you name a better way to portray a codependent uh, relationship with a narcissist than the servant of Dracula? Wow. No, that, that sounds like a a good, artistic uh recreation right yeah so i applaud all the people who were involved with this it's a good one it's a good one and it it proves given a little bit of creativity and i will say that i do what's interesting is two weeks in a row i do think that this movie was made because one of the rumored lands in universal's new epic universe park as I said last week with Super Nintendo World with the Super Mario Brothers movie, one of the rumored lands is a classic movie monsters land because Universal, when you talk about the original Dracula and Bela Lugosi, Universal is known for these classic monsters, Frankenstein, 
uh, The Mummy, Dracula. Uh, I also, I'm not going to say how I know or why I know, but I can say that there's going to be a Hunchback of Notre Dame, the original universal one, Ride in the Park. Don't, mm-hmm. don't, I, I don't want to say how I know that. Uh, I could, of course, be wrong. The project could always be scrapped, but I'm pretty confident in knowing about that. So it's possible this movie was made because what better way to have classic Dracula in the park than have Nicolas Cage versions of classic Dracula. It's still the classic movie monster. It still fits that theme, but it's an updated version. Imagine a dark ride and there's an animatronic of Nicolas Cage Dracula in the same way Rise of the Resistance has Kylo Ren's animatronic. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. So I do think there's elements of Universal trying to have some synergy here with their different brands and their different products. Mm -hmm. Although I still think that this is creative and somebody working, even though it's within the system, not trying to do the solely the franchise thing and having a good idea and pitching it. And it was just the right time to pitch it, if that makes sense. Okay, that's a movie that came out. Let's talk about some movies that are going to come out in Trailer Takedown. I post the trailers in Discord, usually the Saturday before we talk about them. I do that so you can watch them when you want to watch them. Maybe you watch them before the episode. Maybe you watch them after the episode. Maybe you alternate. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer Takedown first trailer elemental is pixar's next movie it seems to be very inspired by inside out in the animation and concept except for me william this concept is a lot more shallow than inside out the idea of inside out being there are emotions inside a person's brain that are battling for that person's personality and affects what are core memories or not and then showing the way there are different areas in the brain and how they function is a pretty intelligent premise and well-developed premise, even if you don't agree with the psychology of it and the psychological theories it's based on. And I'm not saying I agree or disagree either way. I'm simply saying that it's a well-developed premise and you can decide on your own if you agree or not. However, elemental seems, and I know this is ironic because the word element is in Elemental, but seems pretty basic. It's, hey, there are four elements. They have the basic qualities of the four elements. And guess what? They don't mix. And when this fire girl is in love with the water guy, it's not going to work. And isn't it funny when the the water guy tries to know the culture of the fire girl? (laughs) Ha ha, get it? This is why it's tough when cultures and race mix in dating. I don't know. This just seems like a ham-fisted way. And it's it's disappointing because Pixar doesn't usually go in this direction. This just seems like a, a ham-fisted way to get some wokeness, get some social justice, get to genuflect at the altar into Pixar. And I don't know. Am I going to see it? I'm hoping this comes out when I'm in Italy so I have an excuse not to see it. Otherwise, this probably will be a Pixar movie I skip. I skipped Brave. I sp- I skipped The Good Dinosaur. This, this, this is not it for me. 
Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, Justin, much like you, I was disappointed. I thought this could be an interesting premise to use as a commentary on tribalism, but instead it 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 doesn't look like that, right? It looks like, a, like we said, it looks like a sort of social justice take on why tribalism is good almost. Um, yeah. I think uh, I think I'll pass on this one as well. Tackle. Tackle. Second trailer. Bo is afraid is a A24 movie starring Joaquin Phoenix, which almost sounds like it's a combination that had to happen. Although I would argue Joker is essentially an A24 comic book movie. So maybe Joaquin Phoenix already had that. Regardless, I don't really understand what this trailer's about, except there seems to be a bit about pedophilia in this. And call me a bad person, although I would say this makes me a good person. After the bit about pedophilia, everything else in my brain got written over about this trailer. I literally cannot remember anything except there was something that... And I don't even remember what the thing was at this point. I just remember there was something in this trailer that seemed to want us to have sympathy for pedophiles. And because of that, my brain just went nope, especially because it was an A24 movie. So it already had that strike against it. Then it has something about pedophiles in it. And I'm just like, nope, I'm noping out of this. So if you want more evidence to know what I'm talking about, then I urge you to watch this trailer so you can talk about it in an educated manner. But I just noped out hard. And I like, look, I to be clear, I like Joaquin Phoenix. Tackle. Ugh. Tackle. The only word I can use to describe this movie is it looks gross and boring. What a terrible combination. Tackle. Tackle. Third trailer. Queen Cleopatra is a Netflix documentary series about Queen Cleopatra. However, here is the twist. She's black. And there's a point in the trailer where they try to justify her being black by having a expert interview presumably from the series but a snippet of it saying don't listen to what your history teachers and the textbooks tell you and i'm paraphrasing here i don't know the exact wording wording don't let them tell you or don't let them distract you from the fact or don't let them you know convince you know that it's very likely that Cleopatra was African. And they might have even said black. Here's the deal. Egypt is in Africa. Yes. However, have you seen what Egyptians look like? And again, there was a person, another expert in the trailer immediately after that original quote that was Egyptian and had olive skin. And he was saying how good it was that Cleopatra looked like him. Um, what? This Cleopatra in this trailer is clearly dark skin. Now, here's the deal. It's hard for me to say these things without it sounding like I'm racist. Because should race matter? I mean, I think race matters in this case. Look, there's an argument about not making the Little Mermaid white, right? About making the Little Mermaid black. Okay, I get the argument. Now, I'm going to reply with the cultural argument that, hey, this is a Scandinavian myth. There aren't a lot of black 
people there. But if you want to say, oh, that makes the whole point of being an outsider and being different better, fine. I can see the argument there. However, this is a historical documentary. And I'm sorry, the actress they cast does not look Egyptian. I don't know what else to say. Oh, I know what else to say. Not only does she not look Egyptian, isn't Cleopatra supposed to be like one of the most beautiful women in the history of the world? Like, it, William, she was the had, most. De- well, I will, I will, I will push back on you this. She was the most desirable woman at the time, mostly because she would talk to men about philosophy and battle plans, and she was uber intellectual. She was v- right there in Alexandria, right? So why do we use this for? Body she was positivity? the most educated woman in the world at the time. Why don't we just make her fat and just be like, they were so in love with her mind, it didn't matter what she looked like. There you go. I could have been okay with that. But what I was going to say to you, William, is what if they had cast Beyonce in this role? Would anyone be arguing with this? Or is it because they cast (laughs) the most, like, basic-looking black girl? Oh, man. What, are you laughing because I'm probably going to get canceled? No, no, I think you're making great points. I'm Look, dude, like... Do you know me as a racist? No. Right? And I'll answer that question for you. No, you do I'm not get, know I'm me getting as a that racist. drop for next week. <laughs> it, it, I, I don't really care. Like, was any of, let me put it this way. When I critiqued Hamilton, was any of my critique of Hamilton, it was stupid that they did it with an all minority cast? No, no. No, my it, critique it, of it, Hamilton <laughs> was they tried to make him a big government guy. And I was like, they, they tried to turn this into something it wasn't. In fact, you know what? That's kind of cool that they were like, you know what? We're going to retell the history of the founding fathers with all people who would have not been around at that time. All right, fine. I'm down with that. Cool. Whatever. Like, that's your concept. But when your concept here is we're going to do a historical documentary and cast the lead as someone she wasn't. No, I can't. Tackle. Tackle. Well, um. Elon Musk is the richest African-American in the world, right? He is not black. This should be an easy thing to understand. Uh, We know from history, from paintings, from artwork, from sculpture, we know the entire genealogy of Cleopatra. She was a Macedonian Greek. Um, And we know what she looked like. Yeah, that's what I mean. We we see it in art. We have it documented in history. Like We know her entire genealogy. Um, we know from accounts, second and third hand accounts of her all consistent. We know who she is. We know what she looks like pretty fairly. Right. Um, this is, we was Kang's meme on steroids. This is, this is the equivalent of the Scientology movie for the nation of Islam. This is a fantasy. This is, this is black nationalism propaganda. And it's, it's as bad, Justin, as the woman king. It it literally is as bad. It, it is might be just, worse. It is just crazy, right? This is part of a conspiracy theory that's been around since the founding of black nationalism that they that that all all the inventors of the olden times are all black. Everyone that's good, black. This is this is this is just crazy. I don't know how Netflix how they do this after the failure of woman king but hey we're talking about it i don't think this is going to be interesting 
So I'm not going to watch this. Tackle. Ugh, tackle. Final trailer. The Last Voyage of the Demeter is the adaptation of one chapter of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Now I know what you're thinking. I was just talking about a Dracula movie. Do we need another one? Oh, what happened to originality? Oh, now it's all Dracula stuff. Well, vampires and Dracula movies have been made forever. These stories have been told forever. They're part of not just the mythos of American culture, but of human culture. Likewise, you're probably thinking, oh, one chapter from a book? Yeah, I get it. Let's stop adapting material. But again, one of the most famous books ever written, Bram Stoker's Dracula. And finally, the point I want to make is execution matters above all. And the chapter they've adapted is the chapter in which Dracula's body is transported via ship to the United Kingdom. So this is the voyage in which the ship and its crew, and I don't know the ending because I haven't read the chapter, and obviously the story keeps going, so somehow the, the body gets free, although if Dracula is free on the ship, he can presumably, I don't know, fly across the ocean? Again, I haven't read the book. I haven't seen the movie. However, this is that story. I think it's very creative to take one chapter that could be a whole story and make it into a full story. I think that's cool. And I think that this is very well produced. I thought this trailer, this was shown before Renfeld, I thought it was very well done. The idea of sort of a enclosed space story, a bottle episode about these people on the ship, a horror movie about people on the ship trying to get away from a vampire, the ultimate vampire. I thought the cast was pretty good. I like I like this. This is one that I would be willing to see. You know, I'm not a huge horror fan, but this is a horror movie that I would be willing to see because it's a more creative horror movie. Hug. Hug. Horror's not my genre. Uh, so uh, that being said, this looks like a fun, self-contained uh, story, right? And uh, I think that I think that looks like um, it looks like it's a decent adaptation as well. Um, I am a little worried. It seems like a little little uh, washed out, and I wonder if that's just the style or if it's just the preview. But uh, other than that, I think. This looks like an okay horror movie. So this might be something uh, I watch around Halloween time on Netflix. So that makes it a Netflix and hug. You just needed a, a hug and you didn't want to have to go back and talk about the other three again. That's true. That brings us to the end of this episode. What did we learn this trip, William? I learned that everything's political, including shutting down Walmart in Chicago. Justin, what did you learn this trip? Similar to what you were saying, I learned that I'm going to boycott any product that makes its marketing not about its product, but about its politics. I'm done with it. I want you to make me a good product. I don't care about anything else. And you can call me pragmatic. You can call me immoral and evil because of it. But 
I think your approach is short-term and my approach is long-term. So we'll see who wins in the end. I want to thank you for listening to the show. If it wasn't for you, this would just be me talking into the corner of my closet like a crazy person. I mean, it still is, but you make me feel a little bit less crazy. If you want to support us, you can do so through the midside.com slash store, the midside.com slash the cut. You can buy my novel, The Cut. You can also do the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash locals. Crowdfunding is how we keep the lights on. Very literally, it's how I, I pay for hosting and I pay for all the uploading of the actual episodes. That's not something that is done for free. I belong to Podbean to do that. If you want to grow the show, the best way to is to tell a female friend. Not one who has woman face on, but an actual female friend. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emozneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a clown-free day. So we're not releasing uh, Midside Beer in the Midside Store? Never. Never, never, ever. That would contradict everything I stand for and everything I say. I'm not even going to make a joke about it. Just never. Good.